everybody, and welcome back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul, and I am your host as always. And today, from the wilds of the city of Pittsburgh, I have Chris Trippanier. And I hope I, I hope I said it correctly. Trip, is that is that how you say it? That sounded great. <laughs> welcome to the show, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so, who, who calls you Chris, and who calls you Trip? Oh wow. Um, it's it's a pretty big split, actually. I'd say about ninety percent of the people I know call me Trip. Okay. And some family members call me Christopher. <laughs> okay. And then I have some random people I met maybe professionally that call me Chris, but okay. it's it's pretty much Trip with trip, everyone. So trip all around. All right. Cool. Yeah. And you're a bass player. And before we get to yeah. the thousands of bands that you've played in in the Pittsburgh scene which is and I'm not even exaggerating for everyone you're you're about to hear uh Tripp's extensive uh history but um <laughs> why bass what what got you started in bass okay so I didn't really play instruments growing up um I think I played clarinet maybe in fourth grade hey so did I uh, all right <laughs> uh, yeah awesome <laughs> I was not good at it uh, <laughs> And I definitely was too busy to care about it when I was, you know, 10 years old. I played sports and had friends, all that stuff. Right. Um, but at one point, I have I have two half-brothers. My oldest half-brother is about eight years older than me. And he was really into the grunge and punk in the 90s and stuff. And he had a guitar. And he kind of left it to me. And I would mess around on it, never knew how to play it. And one summer, I think I was 15, I tried to learn how to play it. And I had a book, I think, on how to learn how to play guitar. <laughs> and I started to learn uh, on that high uh, B string, and it was just not working out. And I had a couple of friends who were musicians, and my one friend's like, you know, I, I know you want to play. Like, I have an extra bass. Like, I think you'd like it. Um, the strings are bigger. There's less. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll try it out. And it was kind of, that's kind of how I got into it. It was literally like, hey, there's less strings on it. Um, which which makes sense. That, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a really big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan growing up. I was obsessed with Flea, and I like was like, oh, I can learn bass lines. Like, that's what Flea does. So that kind of encouraged me to keep trying. I, I learned by uh, playing on bass tabs on, like, ultimateguitar.com. Right, sure. And just uh, I have a good friend, Mike Mast, who's a drummer, and we would just get high and jam, and that's how I learned how to play bass, really. Okay. And, we would play Red, Red Chili Pepper songs, Mars Volta songs, stuff like that, and then kind of like learned how to jam just based off of that. So that's how I learned how to play bass. So before we go back to the bass question, uh, are you mm -hmm. still a Chili Peppers fan? Uh, yes, it's it's funny because it's kind of a joke now with, the, <laughs> with people, you know, like, oh, you like the Chili Peppers. I'm like, ah, I'm stuck with a couple tattoos on my body that proves it. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> because at some point they were cool and then yeah. you, they turned the corner and then every song was about California and then they were not cool. Anymore. Yeah. They're kind of considered a joke nowadays. And, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I, you, I, you I still, still appreciate like them. them. I, yeah. I, I respect them. Um, I haven't listened to anything new, you know, last 10 years or so, but I've seen them a couple times. Okay. Uh, I still, I still have a great love and appreciation for Flea. He's the reason I play music. So, okay. Okay. I, I have to love them forever, yeah, even if they're considered douchey or whatever. <laughs> I mean, for, when it comes to music or, or things that, that people love, I honestly believe there's no, you know, you, you like what you like, right? And I don't think there should right. be any shame in that. But 
I also believe that you deserve to be made fun of if people want to make, make fun of you. <laughs> I accept it. I, 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 I take it and I just kind of go with it and I accept it. So <laughs> cool. Then going back to the base and you, you starting out and learning to play, was there some point where it clicked for you and you decided, Hey, maybe I can do something with this. Um, yeah, I think so. I never thought I'd be playing in bands. I just, I just kind of, I wanted to, okay. um, you know, I consider I got a late start. I was 15 and my friends were all had been in bands for a long time. Um, but I think like the first hard song I learned and I got it down. I was like, holy crap, like I could do this. Like, <laughs> this is pretty cool. <laughs> and I knew I could play with a drummer because my friend Mike right. played drums and uh, we had gotten together. We were probably, I want to say 18 and we got to play at like an open mic at a bar and we had written songs with our friend um, Scott who played guitar and he was like at Berkeley School of Music and we wrote some really cool songs and played them. And I was like, this is pretty sweet. I want to like, I want to be in a band now. So cool. that's, that's how that like kind of actually launch padded it. So, all right. And yeah. philosophically, how do you view the, the bass in a band? Do you, do you think the bass player should be writing, pri you know, the primary songwriter or the secondary <laughs> songwriter? Do you think the bass player has any business doing lyrics? You know, what's, <laughs> what's your view? Because bass players run the gamut, right? Sometimes there's a joke where the bass player is just sitting on the E string and doing nothing. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's flea, right? So, yeah. so what, what's, what's your view on that? <laughs> I mean, with my experience, it could be anything. Um, I, with with how often I was playing up until COVID, I'm getting back into it now, but I don't really have time to sit down and write things on my own or like contribute that much. It's more of like a full band concept type deal or someone has a song, I could be like, oh, I have something that fit there. Right. Um, so, it, it, I mean, it depends on who you are, obviously, like everybody expects maybe the singer to write stuff, but there's certain bands I'm in where there's one member that writes all the music right? or there's someone that writes a song and needs, you know, I'll write, write a baseline for this song. So, um, you know, I know there are bass players that can write all the music, but I'm not, I'm not that guy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm more comfortable with there already being something there and I can learn it as best as possible and then add my own flair to it right. or right. something like that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the band stuff, which is what I want to do now, let's take a slight detour into COVID. So obviously we were all shut down mm -hmm. for a while. You and I had been planning to do this interview for, for at least a couple of months, um, mm -hmm. but show started up again and we got busy and we were going to do this episode, this interview in person. But now right. we both just played a festival a week ago and <laughs> people within our circles and including us have all needed to be tested. So we decided the safest thing is to uh, do this remotely, which is what we're doing. So do you feel like how, how, so I definitely felt like things were going back to shows and now mm -hmm. I don't know again, because now I know a lot of tours being canceled and all of that. What's, what's your take on the current COVID situation for for musicians? Um, I mean, it's, it's really frustrating. Yeah. Um, I am in bands with people that aren't vaccinated. I'm in bands with people that are vaccinated, both stances, all that stuff. Yeah. So it's hard to, you know, uh, <laughs> it's such a weird topic. Um, back, in, back, back <laughs> last year or even beginning of this year, I did not expect to be playing shows at this point okay. i really didn't okay i i thought we'd still be shut down um i mean i'm glad we're doing it 
it's it's just hard because there's so many people that are just like just want to get back out and are willing to do whatever and right. i understand that part of it it's but it's so hard for everyone to be safe um like i want to play shows i want to be out there um but at the same time that show last week there were 500 people there right. and <laughs> It was awesome, but at the same time, I was trying to like back away from people and be like, "Oh, this is." It felt weird. It was overwhelming in like the good way and uh, like the bad way. Yes, like, oh, I, like, I, like, there's no way people are leaving here not getting sick. Yeah, like, I felt exactly the same way. I only know of one mm-hmm. person, um, and I only know that person secondarily uh, that mm-hmm. that truly was positive coming out of that. Do you know anybody else that came out of that big thing positive? Um, we have a friend and a band member that okay. that tested positive. But they're you know, they're both vaccinated, so they're not really having lots of uh, side effects right. or symptoms, anything like yeah. that. Yeah, symptoms. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's let's leave that there. Hopefully, you know things get better, but it, it is a tough situation mm-hmm. and it, it is hard to predict. So let's not get bogged down on that. For, so let, let's move on to just let's name some of the more recent bands that you're playing with. Just a few, so okay. that we don't spend the rest <laughs> of the episode talking about every band you've played with. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, <laughs> well, uh, the the band I've played the most with since coming back is Fuck Yeah Dinosaurs. Right. We played about four four five shows maybe since july i want to say and that that trace brewery show was the first show back where right. i saw you yeah um and then i've played two sets with uh sierra sellers filling in for her um she has a few bass players so she kind of goes down the line she's like an r&b soul kind of singer okay yeah um and then i just played with the burn rides this past friday um with sloppy seconds cool Cool. So yeah, and and I, have, your, I those... also have an upcoming show as well with um, Feral Cat. Okay, right on. Yes. So you're yeah. you're across genres, which we'll talk about in a second. But what do you mm-hmm. consider uh, your main gig right now, if you had to consider one? Um, I would I would consider Fuckio Dinosaurs at this point. Okay. Um, right now, yes. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, two years ago it might be Killer of Sheep, but right. things have changed. Right. Right so... now, FYD is getting a lot of. Um, a lot of show offers and, you know, after this past, uh, Millvale Fest, we're definitely, we're in it. <laughs> right. That's, and, that, and that's yeah. great. Uh, Fuck You Dinosaurs is right. a great band. Uh, like punk rock, more rock than punk, maybe, I guess. Uh, um, high, high energy songs <laughs> about dinosaurs. I don't know. Yeah. What is yeah. Fuck You Dinosaurs? <laughs> oh, it's, it's a lot. It's definitely changed since, uh, Phil and I have joined the band. Um, John and Zach, the guitar player and the singer, started the band, I think, 11 years ago. Right. They were just drunk one night and wrote some songs about <laughs> T-Rexes masturbating or not being able to masturbate. And they've had different forms of that band. There's been so many members. But um, it was back in 2016. John would get drunk and just text me and be like, hey, fuck yeah, dinosaurs, coming back. I want you to be in, play bass. I'm like, yeah, dude, just do it. Like, I'm ready. And it, probably a year of that, a year of just drunk texting and talking about it. It finally happened, and we uh, we got together. I learned the songs. We had at least one other drummer try out, and he couldn't hang. And then uh, Phil Harold, he's in a band Sarlacc and Gribus. He um, I didn't know he played drums because he plays guitar in okay. one of those bands. And he sat down, and he's been a friend of ours for a long time. So we all just clicked with that, and it's been awesome ever since. Um, but John wrote most of the songs. Our first CD, uh, Jurassic Drunks, I think he wrote pretty much all of those with Zach. Um, there might have been one or two new ones we helped out with. But uh, this album that came out last year, 
Phil had written a lot of it, a lot of the heavier songs. He's a metalhead okay, kind of cool. guy, yeah. and and he you can tell which songs he wrote. <laughs> but it's it, he, but he's one of those guys who who can write an entire song, all the parts like bass, drums, guitar, lyrics. Right. He'll write everything, and we'll have a trouble learning it because it's like a little more complicated than we're used to. But once we get it down, it's it's awesome. So cool. And you, you put that yeah. most recent release out on vinyl. So what was the experience right. there? Was it worth it? All the effort in getting vinyl released? Um, how difficult was it? Did you have label support? What's the story? Um, we were, so we were, we recorded that album with Zach Jamison, the drummer from Latecomer. Okay. Who also recorded Latecomer's past EP and um, album a couple years ago. But um we we put so much work into it and the songs were sounding so good. I, I think I was just like, dude, we should put this out on the record, like, like physical record. And everyone kind of looked at me like, dude, could we do that? And I was like, I think we could, like, <laughs> we have friends that do it all the time. Like, why can't we do it? Like, and none of us had ever been on vinyl. So um, we kind of got the ball rolling. I, I, I have some connections with people. So I started hitting them up, asking questions about prices and how they did it. What, what we should do for certain things. Um, I have a friend, Dave Polster, who works at Well Made Music in Cleveland, I think. Okay. And they're like, they do all the pressing. They do um, heat masters and cuts for um, Gotta Groove Records. Okay. In yeah. Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. That, so that so they're like a bigger. They're, they're a bigger player in like uh, the pressing right now. Yeah, they 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 press like tons of records. Yeah. So that was nice to have that little connection. So he actually ended up mastering our record, and did the lacquers for it and sent it out to got a groove. So that was, that kind of helped us out in that area. Right. Um, as far as the price was, we were like, man, like we had some merch sales help us out, but it, the, the number was so big. We were like, we need to try to do something. So we actually, we ended up doing a show. It was right before COVID. Um, Cause end of February, we put together a show and we actually did a beer collaboration with dancing gnome. Right. So we did a beer release show. And we started a um, an Indiegogo for the record. And after that show, we, we raised over enough money to press over 300 albums. And that was a huge help for us. And it was really fun to do that show and have a beer. And right. so, yeah, that was it, we had a ton of momentum going into probably March. And then everything just died. <laughs> everything died. <laughs> we were planning like we were planning a release show. We were planning all this stuff like a. It was, yeah, that kind of killed everything. So when you guys were talking about what you might do to try to get some exposure, to try to put out vinyl, um, who came up with ideas like, let's do a beer collab, let's do an Indiegogo? Is that something you talked about together as a band? Or did one of you guys come up with those ideas that you sort of Um, rallied around? Yeah, so uh, John and Zach are both big craft beer guys, and they go to all the breweries, and they know a lot of the owners of some of the breweries. So they, I think they actually went to high school with one of the main brewers at Dancing Gnome. And they'd been doing some collaborations with different bands and artists and things like that. So I think they actually came to us and said, do you guys want to do this? And that was like John and Zach's dream coming true to (laughs) combine that and have a beer that we had like to be, we got to be part of it. And we got to go the first day where they started brewing it, all that stuff. So cool. So John's always wanted to do a beer thing to get that out. But um, as far, we, we planned on, touring some more like we've only done a few out-of-town shows as a band and that was kind of the idea like we're gonna put this out promote it and like take it on the road on weekends and didn't really get to happen um but john's really good on social media he's all over twitter and facebook and instagram he'll post a lot and 
annoy people on Reddit and all that stuff. So <laughs> he's he's the one he kind of took reins of that and he does all that. He makes up stickers and posters, all that. He's a graphic designer, so that helps. So all right, cool. Yeah. So, so when we talk about FYD, um, besides what the band might do, what what's your objective? What are you ultimately going to call success? How so? How are you dealing with the musical side of your life and the need to make money and support a family and all of that sort of stuff? Oh man, um, <laughs> I mean the the goal is always like, oh, like I want to be a full time musician and be able to you know make money, but that's you know that's the reality is that's not going to happen. Right. So with FYD, we make most of our money through our merch. Like we have really good merch. You have great merch. I'll give you that (laughs) for sure. But all the, all the money kind of goes back into it. So like we're kind of just using the money we make for merch to make more merch and kind of save up because maybe that'll go towards the next record or something like that. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know if I, there is really a goal after that. Um, I just, I like playing with my friends. Um, we're definitely being more selective with shows where maybe we will get paid or maybe we know it's going to be a bigger show, something like that. Right. Um, we're definitely making our time worth more than we originally, you know, had it. Right. Um, but I, I'm playing as much as I can without, um, pissing off my fiance, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to be selective with shows and like, be like, Oh, there's a reason I'm playing the show because I might make, you know, a hundred bucks or something like that. So, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Drewski is a is a big player in Pittsburgh in terms of promoting and putting on big shows. Are you guys trying to get in with them to try to get on bigger shows? Um, <laughs> honestly, we don't we don't like to talk about them. Um, <laughs> the only reason we played that uh, that show, the Craft House, uh, Electric Six is Phil's favorite band. So yeah, we had to play that show when we when we got the offer. So. Um, as far as working promoters, we, we do a lot of it ourselves. Um, we feel like we can do a better job a lot of the time. Yeah, okay. Um, and with, you know, bigger shows, I mean, that's, that's considered a bigger show cause it's at a real venue or whatever, but we like, you know, we like playing shows in a smaller venue, but we try to pack it in. You know? Right. Right. Um, and like this last weekend at Millville, we weren't expecting 500 people to be there right. uh, we promoted it a lot and people showed up and obviously there were 10 other bands that were awesome on the bill too but um we try to just it's all diy right you know well speaking of millvale one last thing here smalls was certainly the place to be and and uh there were just a million good bands playing playing all over the place that day but especially i was walking back and forth between smalls and where we were playing and it was just a, it was a lot of people i mean there's no doubt mm-hmm. about that so it was cool and it was fun and it was good good for the scene and hopefully now a thousand people won't get sick <laughs> yeah so let's let's move on from from fuck yeah dinosaurs that's your main gig right now but you're doing other things like you mentioned r&b and you're doing some non-rock things so so how Mm -hmm. are you exploring that side of playing bass oh man that's that was definitely scary um it started i mean I've, i've never really been one thing like even with punk bands i never really was super into punk i think the first band i was in was more of like kind of a poppy sounding band what, um, chili peppers isn't punk <laughs> i mean it was at some point <laughs> um, but i wasn't playing anything like that um so it was only you know five years ago was when i joined killer of sheep and fuck yeah dinosaurs um 
I haven't played with Knox Boys for a couple of years. It's just garage rock. Yeah. But um, uh, I think it was 2018. I got asked by um, this guy named Nathan Zub. He was in a band called Recluse. I don't know if you know them. No, I don't. Local local band. Okay. Um, he asked me to be part of um, Hughes shows. Was doing a Christmas special. Okay. And he asked me to play bass for the house band. So we had singers come in, sing a Christmas song. So I got to rehearse and do that. And um, cool. I met some people during that. Um, I met the saxophone player Roger Romero, who I had met him before, but that was the first like we got to hang out for like ten hours that day. So it was the first time I got to like be friends with him. And I think within the year he had asked me like, "Hey, I'm starting a group. So it's like this jazz prog fusion group, and I want you to play bass." And I was like, "Are you sure? Like, I don't, I don't know jazz. I don't know anything <laughs> like that." And he's like, "Yeah, I think it's gonna be perfect." And it's a six-piece instrumental saxophone-led jazz prog fusion cool. band. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I got to rehearse with those guys. And I think, I mean, playing with them, they're all professionals, like literally professionals that get paid to play. Um, that definitely showed me another side of it and been like, oh, you guys are showing up on time and you know how to like read music and you know <laughs> notes. Like, this is wild. Like, And they expect to get paid if they play. I'm like, this is a whole other side of music I did not know in Pittsburgh even existed. So. Um, it was definitely eye-opening, and it's pretty cool to be able to be like, "Oh, I can play that song." And Roger will write; he writes most of the, mostly everything. We kind of figure it out as a band together. Right. He'll like make a whole MIDI song, all the instruments, all that, and then we'll figure it out. But um, I've met a lot more people on that side of it because that's a whole other scene. So I'm meeting, you know, keyboard players, guitarists, drummers, all of that stuff that are playing R&B, jazz, that kind of stuff. So I've that's how I got. Also, the gig with Sierra, she was outside that Christmas thing, but her drummer is also the drummer with Roger and Feral Cat. Okay. So it was kind of like throwing around names. They needed a bass player last minute. And right. I think a week before a show, she's like, hey, can you learn these seven songs? I was like, holy shit, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> like, And that's one of those things, like, if I wasn't playing with Feral Cat, maybe I wouldn't think I could play that kind of stuff. Right. But I sat down and figured it out. And I've played with her three or four times now over the last couple of years, but... But that's opened up, you know, other gigs. So that's right. pretty cool. Right. I mean, that's kind of how you do it, right? You do something that's yeah. maybe not in your wheelhouse and you mm -hmm. get exposed to all of these different avenues where where you can do other things. Um, right. In terms of your playing right now, are you incorporating some of these other non-rock elements into your, your rock stuff now? How is that sort of um, changing your style of play? Oh, man. That's a good question. <laughs> um, I like. I would like to think that I'm incorporating that, but I, you know, I just try to play what sounds the best. Um, right. It's definitely helped me in terms of um, my chops and the actual quality I'm playing. Because when I play with them, I feel like I have to be perfect, and then I go out and play Millville Fest. I'm like fucking up the notes i don't feel as bad you know but i try to make it perfect so i feel like i'm playing better because of it i don't know right. if i'm incorporating more to it but i might hear something that i wouldn't have heard a few years ago and be like oh that would be cool there yeah, yeah. someone else might not get it but you know cool so yeah let's take a uh let's take a slight detour here um and let's talk about you being a person of color coming up in the punk rock scene and mm -hmm. I'm interested to know about that and how it impacted you, but I'm wary of asking you questions just because you're a person of color. So, right. So it makes me feel weird to ask these questions, even though I want to know the answers, which is probably <laughs> stuff that you experience all the time. So I think it's like, yeah. I think it's not uncommon. Right. 
Yeah, uh, don't feel weird. You're fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the nicest way to ask. So um, I, I've been fortunate. Um, you know, I've, I've grown up in Western Pennsylvania, so I know all of I've been called everything. I've heard everything. Right. I know who's, you know, who's being mean and who's just dumb. Like I can I can usually tell the difference. <laughs> So um, <laughs> that's the best thing I've ever heard the, to describe that someone who's yeah, actually mean yeah. and a dick and someone who's just dumb. That's yeah, perfect. There's, I, there's a big difference and you can, I can tell almost immediately if someone's, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. being malicious or not. So, um, but for killer of sheep being one of the first punk bands I'm playing in with, you know, uh, I'm one of three black guys in the band and Oyo's, six foot five dreadlocks scary dude like right. no one no one messes with us so that was that was nice because uh, <laughs> you know you're playing hardcore shows there's usually never any other black bands there's right. one other band we play with really out, outside of uh pittsburgh there's none in pittsburgh really yeah um there's a few guys here and there but um honestly in the music scene it hasn't been much of a problem there's you know it's it's more of people being quiet instead of people saying things you know it's like if there's a problem they're not really speaking out against it and they're saying they're punk but they're not right it's never really towards me i would say um which i'm fortunate for um there's a couple dicks here and there but surprisingly it hasn't been bad in pittsburgh being in the punk scene and being brown i'll get like like i said before it's usually dumb people not mean people right they'll be like oh of course oh you play bass like yeah Oh, you're black. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I get it. I've heard that before. I'm not a fucking idiot. Uh, <laughs> oh man. So it, it, it usually doesn't go past that. And I, I think I, I can, you know, disarm people and be like, Hey, like, let's just hang out and drink a beer. It's okay. Right. right. Yeah. And compared to some of these other scenes that you've recently gotten into, is there, do you, is it, does it feel different being a person of color? I, I feel like I feel more welcomed in, in those okay. scenes. Um, both of the leaders of those bands are, are black people. Um, okay. Both bands have more than one person of color in the band. I feel like that is a more diverse scene in the jazz scene, the right. R&B scene, you know, obviously, right. <laughs> compared right. to the punk scene. Right. So um, that never comes up in those bands. And um, it's pretty cool. Uh, Feral Cat, our, our next gig is actually at um, Barrel and Flow, which is that all-black beer fest in Pittsburgh. Okay, cool. So I'm pretty excited about that, and yeah. all the acts are people of color, and that that's gonna be fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that never comes up in those groups because it's everybody is is right. a person of color basically in those groups. Right. Um, so so one last question here. Charles Barkley famously said that he mm-hmm. um, is not a role model. Do you feel like you are are not a role model for people of color in in the music scene? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Only the tough questions here, Trip. Only the tough questions. Uh, it's it's. I mean, I'm. I, I consider myself. I'm younger. I'm yeah, my only my young, um, early thirties. So it's weird hearing that question. I have yeah. met some kids that are like, "Oh my god!" Like after the Millville show, and I played a, um, at the Fun House like a month ago with Sierra, and there was this biracial kid who was just like so pumped that I was doing that. Yeah, that's cool. And then a couple uh, a couple kids came up to me after the Millville show that had to be under 18 i would think and they were so stoked oh my god you're so good at it so it's 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 cool it's not something i ever thought i'd be in like at this level i wouldn't really say i'm a role model because it's fucking pittsburgh whatever but um (laughs) (laughs) i would i would i would embrace it i like to think that i've i've come a long way and 
I'm, I've been doing a good job musically at least and um, just working hard and trying to make things work and being nice and being a good person. So right. Right. I'm no Charles Barkley. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't a good role model, but <laughs> all, all of that is true. Well, I don't know when we first met, um, but we got along sort of almost immediately. We've always had sort of easy conversations. No, yeah. no awkward small talk or anything like that. But I, I know that your day job is uh, at Ink Division. Um, mm-hmm. which is my favorite print shop in Pittsburgh. It's where I get all of my, my stuff. Um, yeah. How did you How did you fall in there? And maybe we met through Polka, who famously works there. Everybody knows Polka. I'm sure we did. Yeah, yeah. Crazy um, Polka. Uh, so, so how did you How did you get into that that job? Um, that was pretty much falling into that one. Um, I'd been working at a warehouse for a couple of years and been laid off, and I was just kind of partying for a couple months and I got bored and I was looking for jobs, not finding anything. And, um, I have a friend from high school who I was at a wedding with, um, and her boyfriend is one of the owners of Ink Division, Bert. Okay. And we had talked a little bit and he's like talking about the print shop and I didn't know anything about screen printing at that point. This was six years ago, I want to say. And, um, she reached out to me. I was like, Hey, like they're looking for somebody. And Bert said, come on in. And I got hired that day, like on the spot. And cool. <laughs> it's been like the best job ever. I love it. <laughs> I love getting to print shares. I can hang out. It's, it's very chill. Um, it's been nice to have our own little merch spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, pr- it's pretty cool to see how far that's even come in the last six years, as far as, you know, clients and jobs and all the bands that come through. It's really cool to see all the different bands and all their merch and, getting to work with people. So that's, that's been really cool. So uh, do you feel like you've contributed? Like I, I you know, I, I would imagine that everybody's contributed to the growth of that business, but I know that Ink Division has gotten bigger and better. I know you guys have done stuff with some of the Pittsburgh Steelers things. And, uh, and I mm-hmm. know that you do a lot of bands. Um, how do you feel about the growth of a business and your contribution outside? Is, is that something that you're equally invested with like music or is it just a job is really what I'm asking. Um, I'd, I'd say I'm pretty invested. I, I, I've never had a job this long. I've never felt like I was part of anything. There's no real pressure right. at this job and that we're all, you know, creating and, and getting to work with people. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I've definitely gotten a lot of friends and bands to go through a division over the years. Um, everyone contributes with friends and clients and things like that. Um, but I, I do take pride in it. Um, I feel like I've been part of the growth. I definitely, you know, there are some times when I was slacking off and felt bad about it, but I like to think I, I pay, I pay attention to a lot more than some other people to make sure everything's looking good. And cool. I, t- I do take pride in it. And cool. It's, it's been a cool six years and I want to keep, you know, being there and it definitely helps to have a job where your boss is like, Hey, do whatever, you know, or like, Hey, I have a show. Can I leave early? Yeah, sure. Like, Oh, I got to go on tour for two weeks. Okay, cool. Just let me know when you're back. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge plus. Yeah, so for, for sure. Uh, one last thing then before I let you go, um, gear, how much do you care about gear for like, if you're in the jazz scene, 
<clears throat> which I know is something you're just getting into. Gear is an important consideration because of the way that you want to sound. Punk rock, some people care about gear. Some people don't care at all about gear. Sometimes it's a badge of honor to have the shittiest gear you can possibly have uh, in mm -hmm. punk rock. What, what's your approach What's your approach to gear? I know that you play a fancy oh, reverend bass, so I've seen that. <laughs> Everything, it's, it's all morphed and changed a lot in the last few years. Uh, I didn't really know anything about gear. I still don't. But, um, yeah, I have a couple nice Reverend basses now that I've gotten through a friend um, who works at Reverend, and they sound great. But I, <sighs> uh, with, with Killer Sheep and playing small rooms or, you know, basements, like, I had to upgrade, but also downgrade. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, you I want got, like, smaller some... gear, but more powerful stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. Or bigger gear that's not as good because <laughs> they don't really like those punk shows they don't care about the tone they it just has oh. to be louder than everything else because okay, i'm playing gotcha. you know yeah greg mars is playing the loudest drums of all time and if you don't have at least two 15s then you're not going to be heard <laughs> so i it depends on what i'm playing where i'm playing i have you know i have this old 215 pv cabinet um and i have a 410 ampeg and i have a 115 hard key so it depends okay. on where i'm playing who i'm playing with um, you know, with FYD, we've been playing a lot of venues, so I can bring my one right. 15 cabinet and be fine. Um, my head's pretty good. And um, I think two years ago, I got a, a Sansamp, um, you know, bass pedal Sansamp. Right. It's um, basically a DI box, and you can make everything sound perfect on that thing. So that's like my new thing. I never really had pedals, but that's like the one. And then I have a... Um, a fuzz pedal that comes out every now and then with FYD, but um, the Sansam helps me through all of the genres, you know, right. right. Getting to make that tone sound the way I want it for what it is. For so whatever you're doing, right. I'm definitely not a gearhead though. <laughs> right on. Then very last thing here, I just thought of the most important bass player question, which is pick or oh. fingers. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so from about, I started playing when I was 15. I don't think I touched a pick more than one time until maybe four years ago, five years ago. Okay. When I started playing with Knox Boys, things got a little, you know, it, it, it made more sense to use a pick for some of the songs. Um, I had no chops with a pick, and now that's, like, my main thing. Like, I play mostly with that, with FYD, Killer Sheep, all that stuff. And then when even with Feral Cat, some of the songs are a little, there's, you know, staccato picking and all that, so... Um, <laughs> it's it, at first I was very anti-pick. I was like, "Oh, you can't play bass with a pick. That's fucking dumb." Like for, for for maybe over ten years, I said that, and now it's like, "Oh, whatever you want." You know, there'll wow. be songs where I use both. Like I use both on one song. I'll you know play with my fingers for like a slower part and have my pick and take it out and just you know right. go hard on it. So it, 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 I think you're more of a full player if you can do both, or you can at least appreciate why both are good i don't what, think there's what one a mature attitude trip so mature yeah. of you <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> right yeah. on well thanks to trip for being on the show thanks to everyone who's listening uh we appreciate your support please continue to listen please tell your friends and do all of that good stuff trip chris thank you so much for being on the show christopher forgot christopher uh <laughs> thanks a lot for being on the show uh stay healthy and uh I'm i trying. will see you out there at some point i'm sure awesome thank you very much this is awesome thanks for having me